0: We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to elders
1: past and present it's my turn it was my turn three pregnancies ago there's no heartbeat yes
2: just no i so.
1: will do anything i just want so much to be a mother there's a line there's a line and we did a transfer one embryo in each surrogate i
2: have learned that i am so freaking amazing families come together in many different ways and we need to normalize this have sex and get pregnant it's that easy, right? Not for one in six of us. From the makers of Beyond the Bump, we, Sophie, Jade and La, bring you Behind the Bump. A place to share stories and shed
0: light on miscarriage, IVF, infertility and more. So if you're trying to conceive
2: or if your friend is doing IVF, if you just love a moving story, then Behind the Bump is the podcast for you.
0: Welcome to Behind the Bump, everybody listening at home. I'm one of your hosts, Lakshmi Wilson, sitting here today with my beautiful co-host, Jade Caldwell. Hello. Hello, Jade. And we have the lovely Melissa as our guest today. So excited to talk to you, Melissa, and hear about the... Intense journey you've been on, haven't had anyone on yet with your particular brand of hell yes. <laughs> um, and triumph. So, yeah, can't wait to get stuck into it. Melissa, would you be able to start us off and tell us a little bit about
1: yourself? Yeah, my name's Melissa, and um, I am married to the beautiful Sean, um, who is an Ambo, and um, we have Oliver. Little Oliver, he is seven and um, we live on the bayside of Brisbane. So Mount Cotton in yeah, a beautiful little area and we love it's it. Beautiful. And you have a big bump there. I do yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thirty weeks pregnant. <laughs>
0: Do you want to start by telling us, I guess, from the beginning, how did you and your partner husband go into conceiving? How? What difficulties did you think you would have or did you go into it with, you know, brand new expectations that it would all be fine?
1: Uh, well, after we got married, we kind of thought we'd wait maybe like six months before we started trying. No miscarriage or anything like that ever entered my mind. Um, I never really had anyone around me or like even just my mother-in-law or my mum even mentioned that they even had any miscarriages at all. So going into it, I was so naive. None of it ever entered my mind that this would probably be what was going to happen to me (laughs) later down the track. Mm. So um, yeah, we just tried naturally and it took three months to conceive Oliver, um, which was great. So yeah, found out, no worries. Basically, textbook pregnancy, had no issues. I was quite unwell. Um, I vomited even in labor <laughs> for the whole mm. nine months. It was pretty gross. And me having, this is like my first baby, I, I really wasn't into taking any medications or anything. So I tried my best to hold out as long as I could, but it was getting past 12 weeks and it was just unbearable. My oxygen's like, you need to take this like, because mm. I was losing weight and it was just awful. So, um, yeah, I ended up taking one Danzatron. Like, it would took, take the edge off, but I was still vomiting and all the rest of it. So, so you,
2: I'm assuming you were diagnosed with hyperemesis? Uh, it, no, I wasn't actually diagnosed with it. I've probably had it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm thinking if you vomited up until and during labor, then yeah. you most likely 99.9% yeah. had
0: it. It just trips me up that like in pregnancy, we're given so much information of like all these foods, everything you should be doing, mm-hmm. make the baby thrive. You're so worried about all of these vitamins, yet babies thrive when someone is literally puking their guts up yes. all day. Like it's just exactly. crazy to me. I know, and I lived off yeah.
1: KFC Philip um, burgers, literally. Ooh,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> and obstetricians <laughs> like, just Yum. eat, just, just whatever you think you can potentially eat, just eat it. I don't care what it is because we need to be putting on weight, not losing weight. So, um, yeah, that's when I decided that, yeah, I probably needed to take some medication, but, um, yeah, it, did, it helped a little bit, but I was still vomiting, but yes. So yeah. One of
0: the things that you kind of have spoken a little bit about to me on email, which I haven't heard of before, you said that Oliver, who's I think seven now, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So he was diagnosed with fragile X syndrome. Yes. Yeah, so can you tell us like how that diagnosis came about, what that means, what that means for him, what that looks like, all of that kind of journey?
1: Yeah, um, so uh, Fragile X is a genetic intellectual impairment. Basically, he has an intellectual disability. That is what Fragile X is. Um, It is a spectrum base and it is also um, genetic inherited from my family. So when I was growing up, I had a cousin who has Fragile X and he is hes a lot more severe than what Oliver is. So basically, my dad was, you know, told the information that it had come from my grandfather, um, because it travels down the X chromosome. So um, because my dad and his twin brother were um, okay, and they didn't have any issues growing up or, or what have you, they were just like, well, it's come from my grandfather which just passed it on to my auntie which is then passed it on to ben unknowingly so when my dad went to have children he was like well obviously I'm fine like there's no issues um, and then when we went to have children like I was going off information that you know I was told by my dad so we didn't think anything of it um either but in hindsight <laughs> I probably should have got my sort of tested just um mm. I don't know just for peace of mind potentially but you know I was just like well you know dad's being told that there's nothing wrong kind of thing. So anyway, we um, had Oliver. He was fine. He was like meeting all these milestones. Um, He did walk a bit later than usual. It was about 17 months when he walked and crawled a bit later. But ordinarily, he he was quite fine he then went to uh k kindy and um he got to um when he actually we went to pre-kindy and he was obviously fine which was, when he was three um when he turned four we went to kindergarten um and that's when a, a teacher is basically in the kindergarten she teaches the kids and she's like look melissa i just think there might be a little delay in his speech and i was like okay you know that's that's fine because it could just be because he's a boy you know he could just be a bit behind and and she goes, we're just flagging it with you just in case you wanted to get it checked out. It could be nothing. So Sean and I were like, let's get this looked at. So I went and saw a speechy, at this local trust, and um, she was doing an assessment on him and it just blew my mind what he did not know. Like mm. he had no he had no idea that like what up or down you know, middle positioning of anything. He had no clue because they take all the scaffolding away when they do Testing on, on kids. And so it breaks it all down. And they he literally, without any scaffolding, didn't know anything. Wow. It was awful. It was absolutely awful just sitting there thinking that, you know, he's actually fine. Like he's, there's no worries. Mm. Yes, yeah, so we just thought he had a speech problem. And then we obviously we were going through this process of having him assessed. And it, it was just all of these things were like coming out. And, and she's like, I just don't, he's not fitting into any of the boxes that we would check for in regards to speech related issues. Right. And she's like, we may have to maybe travel down the, the genetic side of things. And then that's when I said, well, I've been diagnosed with being a carrier of Fragile X. And she's like, that's it.
2: Really? Right. So they were really adamant at that time that that's what it would be. That's what she, That's yeah. how clear it was. She,
1: yeah. She said he's 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 very sporadic. Like he's doing things that he shouldn't be able to do if he had this specific speech related problem and so she's like he's just all over the shop like he's he knows some things that he shouldn't know and and all this stuff and she's like it's just not making sense were you a bit like oh, my God, like, what
0: have we been thinking was going on before this? Because obviously with your first, you don't have much to compare to. But did you have that moment of just being like, how did we not mm, know, see this or think this? And did it all just kind of come back to you of like, oh, yeah, these are the things that, like, he hasn't or has been doing but you hadn't thought anything of before?
1: Yeah, and because, like, as parents, we scaffold everything for our children. So, and Oliver is um he's a very good and with fragile, like, same day group, good at mimicking Mm -hmm. so he will just he literally has just gotten through life in the first four years with just adapting and coping with things and masking things he's very good at just like being able to pick things up in his own little way and being able to get away with it so we were basically completely blindsided (laughs) in the fact that he didn't know anything we we had no idea like we would just obviously you would go and point to something and be like can you just go and grab that for me Oliver like we'd never say like or you probably would say like on top of that on the bench or something but we would obviously be like on yeah, the bench or like, can we mm-hmm. like I know what that
2: specific item is I'm just Mm. going to grab that but he didn't know the the language behind it. Can I ask how did they diagnose like was it via after you said that to them what was the procedure following? Yeah so she put us on
1: to uh, an amazing pediatrician he is and he's also a geneticist and he works in Brisbane um, and also at the Children's Hospital and he he is the most amazing human we've ever met. He's just the most beautiful person. And um we were able to get into him and we went for our, our appointment and he took one look at Oliver and was like, He doesn't have fragile legs. Oh. And we were like Plot twist. Pardon? <laughs> like I carry it. So you know there is a potential he's like yeah yeah he's like there's a potential but fragile X children also or or people have um a presentation about their face so they have like a a larger forehead bigger ears they can have like wider set overall shape eyes usually like a bigger head Mm -hmm. low muscle tone also um and he was just looking at him and, and he was just like this isn't making any sense like he doesn't like he's interacting with me, like a lot of them have um, like autism traits where they where they will not, you know, communicate very well and, and the rest of it. So he was like, he doesn't have fragile legs. And so that gave us a little bit of like, I was like, oh, maybe he doesn't. Like this is, you know, this can be okay. Like maybe he he does just have a, you know, a like preface of speech or whatever speech-related problem he had. But it obviously it wasn't making sense with what the speech he had said. So anyway, he said, go get the blood test done, so when got the blood test done um, and then, yeah, it came back that he was a full mutation Fragile X, which is over 200 copies of the X chromosome. So he's a full mutation and Fragile X is spectrum based. So basically you can go from like obviously very mild cases of Fragile X, which is obviously what my dad and my uncle have, very mild, where then you have you know kids like Oliver who have a few... Little things that, you know, we need to take him to OT and speech. And he also seems like a child psychologist just for his anxieties and yeah. stuff. And he goes to mainstream school. He's, you know, he's coping quite well. He's quite a social little kid and doesn't really have any issues making friends and that type of stuff, which is great. But then you've also got the other end of the spectrum, which can be just devastating. They can have seizures, they can be nonverbal, um, they won't be able to talk themselves, will need a carer 24 7. Is that more the presentation that your? Did
0: you say it was your cousin or your dad's cousin that had it more severe? Yeah, yeah. So he's um he's
1: able to obviously like toilet himself and stuff like that, but he yeah he can't obviously live independently. So mm. he's with my auntie and uncle still at the
2: moment. So so that, did the yeah. paediatrician then backpedal and say, okay, I'm not going to base yeah. my um whole education <laughs> yeah. on looks. I'm going to exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It was actually really funny because um he when we walked into the in the room, he's like, I'm never wrong. Hardly oh, ever He bit shot sure himself didn't he? the time. But he's like, I I <laughs> take this one he's like I did not think that he was and he is. So yeah. I wish I understood genetics
0: better. It's something I'm always like trying to follow. And I'm sure being on your journey, you now understand it so much better than you probably did before. So forgive like all of my naivety and the questions (laughs) I'm going to ask. But so then you know now that your dad does have it and his twin brother has a, does that mean that you had to, you have it as well yourself mildly? No, or it No, you? no, no. So
1: um, I'm just a carrier. So because it's come, okay. like my dad is a full mutation, it then travels mm-hmm. to a girl being on the S chromosome and um, I have now, cause it's come from a full mutation It then um, decreases in repeats. So I have 116 copies. Um, he has over 200, but I've only got 116 on one of my S chromosomes. And funnily enough, my mum actually carries Fragile X as well. So ah. I have Fragile X on both of my S chromosomes, wow. but mum's is in the gray area. So it's only just starting the, promutation gene so hers is on a 45 and mine is on obviously 116 from my dad and so does it matter what your partner has then no or no no it's only me Ah. yeah yeah so um i will pass on that x chromosome to my children um and it just depends on what x chromosome comes up
2: and does it then obviously start trickling out as you go on, depending on the partner that they're with? Because you said you've got 160, your dad had 200. So would your son then have less than you?
1: No, because because it's come from a full mutation and I've got 116 copies because it decreases in value. When I pass it on, it's got like, a, I think it's an 85% chance of being mutating into a full mutation, which is what Oliver is. So there is a small chance... That Oliver could have potentially been a premutation carrier. Oh. But. <laughs> That didn't
2: happen. God, I wish I Always was good. Question. At, I really, yeah. I wish I was good at school because this is really going in and out and above and around my head. I'm like, wow. <laughs> but genetics is a lot.
0: It's one yep. of those things where I feel like you become such an armchair expert, don't you? Like you just know these weird things, fertility, the journey it takes you on, and you're like, I never would have known that I could pretty much sit up front of a class right now and teach them about yeah. this. You know, for me, it was a DQ alpha match for you. This yep. like. It, you have, you kind of have to, because like, if you're just relying on all of the specialists you're seeing, mm-hmm. I mean, some people may find that easier, but I feel like you you need to advocate for yourself. Oh. You have to know what's going on. You have to know yes. the questions to ask, especially like for you trying again. Mm. I'm sure that's when things became really complicated with you knowing all of this information.
1: Yeah, it was. And it was quite a tricky time because I Obviously, I'm quite a maternal person. I, I worked with children a lot when I was I'm um, a lot younger, and I just like being a mum was what I wanted to do. So I was like, I need to like, you know, where are we at here with like, what are our options? Because I hmm. like I obviously wanted to have more children, but like I needed to obviously, as you said, educate myself because I wanted to know like how this works, like how fragilex works, like how can I get around this so that we can have you know more children later down the track Mm. so with the diagnosis we obviously i did my own research and everything and before we actually had the diagnosis of oliver um i did have five miscarriages um and we weren't we we didn't really know what the issue was and obviously finding out about oliver and i was like well is it fragile x like is that causing the issue but it actually doesn't. Fragileness has got nothing to do with, with miscarrying at all. So
0: how, so he was, what age was he? Like, I guess he was younger than four when you started trying, you said he got diagnosed at four. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. just on yeah. Four. So you were trying for your second before knowing any of this yeah. and you had five miscarriages in a row. Yeah, we
1: had no oh idea. God. And I don't know whether like looking back now at this, I know it sounds a bit odd, but Like the way that our fertility journey has happened, I don't know whether it's happened in a sequence where it needed to because we Mm. wouldn't have found out any of this if we hadn't had the miscarriages. And I know like obviously it's Mm. like beyond awful, but that triggered off, you know, me going – seeing the fertility specialist, getting the genetic testing done in case we needed to do IVF was just part of the testing process. And that's when it came up that I was a carrier. And yeah, we just decided then, like we just, and the genesis back then, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, the information that she told us then was the testing that they had available for embryos and and all the rest of it wasn't very cut down the middle. It, it wasn't a black and white answer. It was a, a, bit, a bit of a smudging and they could be like, Oh, the baby might have this many copies. And I was like, that is a hard no from me. Like I, I just pulled the pin. I was pregnant at the time when we, f- when I found out that I was a carrier and the geneticist was like, you need to book in all these tests. And, you know, I was think I was about six, six or seven weeks by that stage. And I was like, hang on a minute, mate. Like I've had four miscarriages. Like, no, I am not going through any testing or anything until I can actually even hold this pregnancy. Yeah. Like basically back off. Like I was, I was so annoyed because like, obviously finding out about that is devastating in itself. And then obviously being pregnant also, and not knowing like, does the baby have it? We don't know. Like, you know, she's like, you've got to put all these things in motion and all the rest of it. And I was like, I don't have a very good track record, so how about you just back off, give me a couple of weeks until I can go see my obstetrician and see whether this is even a viable pregnancy, Mm. and then we can hit up the testing. Because, like, at the moment, Sean and I were just like, we're done. Like, if you you can't give us a proper answer, we can't can't proceed. Like, it's just not something that we're going to do. I don't want to, um, like, press this,
0: you know, pain point if it's not something you want to explore more, but you had five miscarriages in a row that's, yeah, yeah like, psychotically painful, I imagine, emotionally and in a lot of other ways to go through. Yeah. And so you were trying for your second as well, which I know can add other layers of emotion to it, doesn't yeah. it? Like, I found that I felt like there was a certain level of, um, uh, I don't know, I guess, like, you had to position yourself to always be grateful that you knew you would still always be a mother. You have a child already, but it, um, yeah, is still like its own new brand of hell because you're like, what the hell? My body's done this before. Why can't I do it again? How were you coping during that time? Like at what point did you decide to look for help and to see why you couldn't just kind of carry a baby as you had the first time?
1: Yeah. So we, we did book in, with after the it was the third one I had we got to eight weeks which was great um booked in with an obstetrician that I had Oliver with went to see her and um she was like okay cool we'll we'll chuck the scan on and just see what we've got here and she's like could your dates be wrong and I was like (laughs) I was like no no they can't I was like I've been tracking my period this is not like you know, and she's like, look, we've we've got it, everything's there, like the sack and, and all the rest of it. She's like, we've got a stem, but it's only got a bit of a flutter there. And I was like, okay, but she's like, this, there's no heartbeat yet. So she's like, I'll send you over. So she's just got like one of those portable machines in her rooms. Yeah. So she's like, if you just want to go over across the road, they've got a better machine and they can check it out a bit better. So went over there, they checked it out and she's like, said the same thing. And she's like, look, we've got to give every pregnancy, you know, a chance—the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. yeah. So she's like, "Look, go home. We have to give it ten days." And I was like, "Are you kidding? Like ten the days? Longest like, ten days yeah. of your life? Yeah." And and also, like, I knew deep down that this is not like this is not a viable pregnancy. Like we've lost it. It's this is ridiculous.
0: Is there a party though? Do you feel like once they say that you go home and your mind starts playing tricks on you, going like? Like for me, I remember that was my first miscarriage with a similar that it was like that waiting game. And once you start Googling and then it's like these stories come up of like, oh, has this ever happened to you? Yes, it happened to me. They told me this and end up being viable. Mm. And it's like just that hanging on to that bit of hope but you know, deep down and you're just like waiting for that yeah, final. Yeah, you just have to
1: go through the process, which is the most awful thing because yeah. they're like, you know, i to give it 10 days and I'm just like, I don't, like there's no way that my period, like the most cycle was out 10 days. Like that's, it's not happening. So we went back to my obstetrician and then she was like, look, I'm sorry. It hasn't progressed. And, um, obviously I have blood tests and and stuff in the meantime. and, And my body wasn't, recognizing the fact that it wasn't like everything was growing so in that 10 days everything grew except for the baby so um it looked like it potentially could have stopped at about five weeks or something five or six Mm -hmm. weeks growing um so I was just I was completely just off it I was so like (laughs) obviously devastated. I just I just wanted it out. I was like, I'm done. I can't like we can't go any any longer. So um yeah we just booked in for a DNC. Um which she said because I did have the two other miscarriages before that, she's like it probably might be better to have a DNC and yeah, have, have a bit of a, out. Yeah, have a bit of a clean out and walk and start fresh. So had that and yeah the team that I go to down in Redlands, they are just the most beautiful humans they were both there for me when I had the DNC and they were just anyway hands down amazing and so we then started to do she did do a bit of testing after that just with you know there's like that blood clotting one they do and there's a few other things she did and she's like nothing's really mm, I I just don't like my scope I've I've pretty much reached the limit, um, she mm. then recommended me to go to a fertility specialist in Brisbane to see her and we went and um, saw, yeah, the fertility specialist and then that's when all the other testing started and scene found out about Fragile X.
2: Before we get into that, in terms of the support during these times with miscarriage after miscarriage, how was your partner through this? Was, like... I guess obviously it's stressful, so I can only imagine the if there was arguments or if you were feeling really really low, how did he handle that? And did you have any other external support in terms of, Mm. I guess, seeing a therapist just to get you through such a hard time? Sean, my husband, being an ambo, (laughs) he's very. Should I put this? He can.
1: He he obviously is quite clinical. Um, He can be. You know, which is good, and and I I'm a bit like that myself. Just basically need to know all the information we need to be matter of fact, action based yeah, kind of. He wants so. to know what to do. Yeah, mm. yes. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know. Like, we our relationship we just work as a team. We don't do anything on our own. He is like the most amazing human I've ever. Like, he's just he was an amazing support, and he just was. Basically, whatever I needed, didn't matter what it was, whatever. We can chat about it. He was always there. He helped with, like, you know, booking appointments and getting all that stuff done. As for like emotional support, he was just the best. I couldn't fault it. We didn't have any external kind of um, psychologist appointments or anything. I was. I didn't really know anyone who had had a miscarriage before, except for um, one of my good friends. And I messaged her with my first one and I was like, what do I do? Do I just stay at home? Do I go to a hospital? Do I see my GP? She's like, look, I just stayed at home. But if obviously if the bleeding gets, you know, and this is what Sean was saying too, because he obviously knows, you know, with his medical knowledge and that type of stuff he's like look we just have to keep an eye on the bleeding if it starts to get a bit more heavier um and you're changing your pads more often then we, we will have to go to the hospital so that was like probably the medical advice that i got after having yeah. those but since having oliver i knew that i was o negative i knew i had o negative blood but if you have no negative blood you don't have to any d needles so every time just in case the blood Transferred to me because I can't have any other blood but my own. So every mm. time I had a miscarriage, I had to go in and have an anti-D needle, and they—the <laughs> absolute oh worst. Like they are like horse needles. It's awful. But anyway, oh. I had to have one of those every time. And yeah, he—I don't know. Like I, it's looking back now. I kind of I don't think I really did process any of them at the time. I was very determined to. You know, we we just need to keep going. This is just let's go, like get this show on the road. So I kind of I'm very good at compartmentalizing things. <laughs> I package things up, just put that away, mm. and we just we just need to get back on the on the horse type thing. So I think like at the time I was obviously devastated, but I kind of just I I don't know. I think it's just my personality. I don't know. I just. I just got on with it. Yeah. I was just like, went back to work. I just didn't even like, I was like, this is just, I just need to get on with this. We just need to move on, you know, like which now
2: looking at it wasn't the best option. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause it's going to bubble and oh, it's going to yeah. surface at some point. Yeah. It's hard
0: though. Cause I feel like you are, when you're trying for a baby, you are like in such a hurry already. Usually, you know, you're so impatient, yeah. like even in the most uncomplicated of trying to conceive scenarios and it's hard. To, I felt that too on my journey. It was like almost, I just, yeah, I was like, I just need to get there. I yeah. just need to get, I just need to be pregnant and stay pregnant. I just need, it just felt like I was waiting for the, you know, gun to go off and me to do the race and see, you know, would I get to the end or not? Every pregnancy felt like that. It was just like, I just need to know. And it was like head down. But yeah, I think amazing that you kind of had that belief in yourself that you could, and it would happen because I think for me, even having a child, I, I really questioned, like I really, really, and that added a whole new layer for Mm. me was like, I might never be able to carry another, another child.
1: Yeah. yeah, did you have that thought ever? Um, no, like my my fertility specialist was was very, you know, she was very positive and she's like you you can do this. Like your body can yeah. do this. So, we need to figure out what's gone on from when you've had Oliver mm. to now. What's mm. what's the problem? Like So, yeah, she did a mass mass anatomy testing I had a laparoscopy done just to make sure that the anatomy since having Oliver was okay um, mm. and that's when I got diagnosed with um, adenomyosis and what is that it is when the lining of your uterus grows into the wall of the uterus so it's it's kind of in the same family as endometriosis but it's kind of not um, it's just inflammation in the uterus so it's not the mm-hmm. best environment for a little embryo to be sticking to the side of right and was that
2: the reason
0: did they think that
2: was Uh, potentially it's
0: always a half answer isn't it I feel like that was
2: always so you're like oh and is it this and they're like
0: um it wouldn't be the whole picture but it could be part of it and you're just like why can't you just go like yes we opened you up there was a lego piece inside you we got it out like you're all good to go now you know a clear simple
1: bloody answer yeah without a doubt and that's why I was like what like because I am that type of personality like I need to know like I need to be informed I need to inform myself I need to be well educated on this stuff so that I can advocate for myself so yeah. I'm just like I need I need information like what what is this like how does this come about why have I got it all the rest of it basically it can sometimes happen before you have children most of the time it happens after you have children and it's just might be contributing but wasn't in her opinion the whole yeah, she's story like, it's not like she's like, I just don't think it's the full answer, but um, I also had a little bit of an autoimmune type situation happening as well. So she's like, how about, you know, we try the IVF route. We will hit you with everything that, you know, the the treatments for both of these, which was Clexane, low dose aspirin and um, intralipid infusions. So we did the IVF first, First cycle and um, we, obviously, we're doing the IVF because of the genetic Mm -hmm. reasons, obviously. We wanted to test the embryos um, and the testing had obviously advanced in that time and the embryos would be going over to, or a biopsy of the embryos would go over to the UK um to be tested for fragile X
0: and so you said before it wasn't going to give you an exact answer but at this point did you feel like they could give you a more they could now we okay because s- we spoke okay. to a different geneticist
1: So, because all us pediatrician is actually a, a geneticist himself and he said to us when Oliver f- first got diagnosed he was like so are you going to have you know any more children like is that on the on the radar and at that time Sean and I were like that's a hard no." because the information (laughs) that we were given was not like significant enough for us Mm -hmm. to make that decision. So he said, oh no, like there's things I can do now. And I was like, okay, but again. I'm listening. Yeah. But again, like I'm sure not just looking at each other going like, we we've made this decision. We've made this decision a few years ago, like this is it kind of thing. Um, So we've had that obviously in the back of our mind, but um, it was November I think two years ago, they did make there was a Medicare subsidy for genetic testing of um, I think the four most common genetic conditions. I think it's like SMA, Fragile X, and oh spina bifida, I think potentially. I don't know. There, there is, I think, three or four of them that they test for that can be Medicare subsidized. So I said right. to Sean, like, maybe we should we give can have a another go. baby. Like, if we can if we can do this. And he was a bit like <laughs> do you really want to go like open this up again? Like kind of, Oh, uh, and cause he was a bit on the fence with it. And I was like, come on, like, let's just try. I think this might just be a sign that we need to do it. And so, yeah, that's what we obviously went back to after the specialist and yeah, had a laparoscopy and all that jazz and started the first round of IVF. And we did make an agreement before we do anything like this type of stuff. We always have a plan. And when we stop, like there, there needs to be, you know, a point of like that's enough. So um, I said to Sean, like two rounds of IVF and obviously because it is so expensive. Mm. And so, yeah, we, we just said two rounds and that, that would be it. If we don't get anything from two rounds, then we won't be proceeding um, because obviously we have Oliver. So, you know, we're not, we, we, we do have have a little boy. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: I think it's so good to have those conversations because I think like you can get so lost in it and just even if you might get to that point and then reevaluate, just like saying that to each other and going, okay, instead of looking at this huge, overwhelming, constant, this could be this ongoing thing. It's like, we're just going to give ourselves this amount of time to potentially experience this hardship or pain or confusion or hopefully. Yeah get over this like situation we're in and have a baby. I remember having that chat with my partner at the time and it was like it hadn't occurred to us that we could stop and I don't think mm. I ever was going to be okay with stopping. Like I don't think I would have. But just to have that chat and I was like at that point just going oh, I don't actually know how much more I can handle. Like I'm really not well mentally. And us, we made a plan of like, let's do Mm -hmm. this final, let's see this specialist, this new specialist we've been referred to and just do his last test that we haven't done with our other specialist. And then that'll kind of be, if there's no answer there, then maybe we just take the pressure off for a while. Like we just, you know, keep having sex and see what happens and, you know. Who knows how that would have gone, knowing the way my mind is. (laughs) I don't think I could ever truly relax. But, yeah, I I really think that's an amazing thing to have a plan in place.
1: Yeah, and also just setting boundaries on like what you both are, you know, capable of doing. I think also I also sought out a psychologist, a perinatal psychologist, got referred to from my beautiful physio, who's also a women's health physio and she said, you need to see this psychologist. She, she's amazing. So anyway, I was seeing, I've been seeing her since I think it was 2020. I think it was probably a year after I had all the miscarriages. So Mm. I've been seeing her and I would not in a million years been able to do IVF without her help. Basically you need to be in a certain frame of mind and all the rest of it. And I said to Sean, like, I can't, Stress enough? How much, like, I needed her to get me in the the right frame of mind and enough to be able to cope with with going through IVF mm. and even just deciding to then go naturally. Like, I I literally would not have been able to do it without seeing her because with all the miscarriages that I had, I was able to see her and I was able to get my head space right and also process each miscarriage because I. Mm. I couldn't have done what I've done without doing that first. And that's why, as mentioned before, like in hindsight, what I was doing was not okay. (laughs) Yeah. I should have sought help when it was happening, but I was just on this, you know. You were determined. Yeah, it was going to happen whether I liked it or not. So you had this
0: plan of two rounds. How how did it go? How was your IVF journey?
1: For me, like, I, I didn't find IVF that bad, actually. The, the whole needle thing was fine. Like, my body responded to the IVF really well. I, maybe ask my husband. <laughs> um, I don't think I was... <laughs> That hormonal, uh, I don't know. I probably I uh, a for him, but I'm um, Sean. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I was in. that bad. But yeah, like my body was was great. Like I did have, I did get the hyperstimulation syndrome. Like because my body did respond to the treatment very well. So I think um, out of the two rounds, I got about forty five eggs in total, and out of those, we had nine. That were frozen and tested over in the UK. And we ended up getting two (laughs) that didn't have fragile X. That's crazy. Wow. Had two chances at a transfer. So we had the first transfer without having any treatment for the adenomyosis we just were taking a bit of a gamble with with that one we just decided that we would do the intralipids and low-dose aspirin and clexane and just see how we went um so yeah we had that process done and yeah that embryo did not take so when we were going to do the second embryo I said how about we like we made a decision that we would try that it's called down regulation so I have a implant put into my stomach um, once a month and that basically stops the estrogen production in my body. So basically puts you into medical menopause. And that's
0: for the lining issue? Is that meant yeah, to help that? Yeah. So right. basically
1: um, adenomyosis is estrogen fed. So the mm. estrogen in your body is is, yeah, is fueling that inflammation in your uterus. So that's one of the treatments that they use definitely for um, endometriosis. but. Mm. Not so much for adenomyosis. There's not really any real hard evidence that this actually does work. So that's why um, my fertility specialist was like, oh. Small half. Yeah. dances. Like, yeah. Maybe, maybe. could we be... just try one without it and then oh. do one with it kind of thing and I was like well yeah If there's no hard evidence which I'm obviously like a facts person so I was like well there's no hard evidence that it actually does work then let's give it a crack you know without it first because going into menopause isn't the nicest thing it was actually quite awful
0: (laughs) did you do that for a few months leading up to your second transfer
1: yeah so three months I I was in menopause four so yeah that was pretty yuck. so you've gotten (laughs) a little preview into how that's gonna be report back no good it was uh it was it was pretty it was pretty awful oh dear yeah and that treatment once you get your cycle back that treatment can potentially last um, about three to six months um, i mean oh. regards to inflammation in your uterus so i got so after the three months i think it was i didn't get my cycle back so my body was taking a long time for it to get back into rhythm so I had to go on some medication to help with that. Um, so your second, sorry, it didn't take. Oh, no, this is this before. So this is after oh. the um, the menopause. So I had the menopause for three months, but then after I had that last implant, so that last month, and then I'm supposed to technically get my cycle back, which wasn't happening, like nothing. Nothing was happening, so I was like, it's been ages I want to get this in where I'm in like come on yeah so my deliverance just put me on a medication that's supposed to just kick start you so I had that medication that it did help so I got I ended up getting my cycle back in November and then we got the embryo put back in and obviously with the Clexane, Aspirin and and the intralipid infusions and um yeah that one didn't take either so basically
2: yeah we did IVF two rounds and no baby. How disappointing. (laughs) Oh, it was just... Like, how are you feeling now uh, at this point? We just thought that, you know, the amount of eggs that I got, like, come on, like,
1: I don't know, like, and there's no rhyme or reason as to why they didn't stick. Like, I can obviously get pregnant with a drop of a hat. Like, I've got no issues getting pregnant. That's not my problem. Mm. And that's why I thought going into IVF, I was just like, well, they'll just stick, won't they? It's fine. I was like really not even like I was like it's it's fine I can fall pregnant I don't have any issues doing that so we'll put the embryo back in and out of two of them hopefully we'll we'll get one and
2: wow
1: I can't even imagine it was just yeah and then that also brought up all the old you know like decisions making with you know only having one kid and
2: all yeah. the rest of it. So
1: yeah, I was seeing my psychologist a lot around that time, which helped tremendously. Mm. But I still had in the back of my mind that I just I needed to try every option before I gave up. And because of seeing um, my psychologist, I obviously deep down that obviously came out because at the time when we decided to not have any more, that was probably like a knee jerk reaction of you know the situation that I was in, being pregnant at the time, finding out at the time, like it was just a lot. And that's, I think, my coping mechanism was just like, nah, we're not doing anymore. So being able to process what we've been through and I just, I just, yeah, speaking to my psychologist and and I said, like, I I think I need, like, I need to try this last option. And um, knowing the risks and what had to happen um, in regards to that last option, Sean was not on board at all
0: yeah so how tell us like how did that go down because obviously I mean he was at the of the understanding that we're gonna stop now right and then what happened like was it quite clear straight away that you were just like sorry I can't possibly like stop I need to try more like yeah. did you have to sit him down and tell him that or yeah, yeah what it
2: happened? was quite awkward uh I <laughs> <laughs> <You> can imagine
1: <laughs> I haven't um... I had obviously been seeing my psychologist. So I was kind of in a frame of mind of, you know, like I can, I can do this. So that's kind of where I started the conversation with, I was like, I've, you know, I've been thinking about this. I've been having sessions with my psychologist and I have to do this.
0: Did he even know that that option was on the table? Was he just like, Um, he,
1: he knew there was, there was that option. That was an option because we potentially, we could have done that before we did IVF. It was always an option, but we were trying to avoid that at all costs. We didn't want to have to make that decision or or do that or have to go through that situation either. So that's why we decided we would do the IVF first to try and not have to do this option. So that's why he was a bit confused when I was like, can we try (laughs) and do this? And he was just like, no like no and I was just like I have to do this and he's like now and that's when that conversation stopped and I was like oh fuck like if he's not on board then like we can't do this obviously
0: i think for everyone listening right now we need to be specific about what this option is that you're talking about because i'm sure people okay. are going what is he saying no to
1: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> what, um... what was the re-
0: what were you wanting to do what we wanted so wanting to...
1: basically our last option was to have four pregnant naturally which again was not my issue the first hurdle we had to get through is obviously keeping the pregnancy, which is not my strong suit (laughs) either. So Sean was very apprehensive because of that also, because he's like, I can't I can't see you going through that again. Like for the sixth time. He's like, How many? Like how many? Mm. Like when do we stop? Like he's because like he's obviously gone through them too. And I know it has been devastating for him as well. And like he's obviously reached his limit. So, yeah, that was the first hurdle we had to get through. Um, so we had to obviously see a fertility specialist in regards to doing that in itself. And then the second hurdle would be to um, get to 12 weeks and have a CBS done. What's a CBS? They go put a needle through my stomach. Right. And they take a part of the placenta out. And they are able to test for Fragile X using the placenta because oh. it troubles on the X chromosome. So that's not going to change between the fetus and okay. the placenta. So it is what it is. Whatever X chromosome um, the baby has is what it is. At what week did they say they could do this? Did you uh, say 12, 10 weeks? 12. 12, 12 weeks. That's so a long time. Near, yeah, yeah, so the NIP test is uh, 10. But yeah, the, the CVS, they recommend 12. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: then... When we got the CVS results back, then we would have to make a decision on whether we would have a termination for medical reasons if um, the baby had fragile X, um, and also then if the baby does not have fragile X, then we would be able to proceed with the pregnancy. Can I?
0: I feel like this is such a delicate part mm. of your story, and I'm really. Hyper aware of not only your feelings but people listening, oh, and a doubt. I don't yep. want to say the wrong the thing. Wrong um, <laughs> obviously, you can only speak for your own journey, but yep. I imagine there are other parents out there listening who have children who have neurodiversity. You yourself have a child with I neurodiversity, Yes. Yeah, so, how did you navigate that emotional complexity? The idea that you wanted to, I guess, potentially screen out another child that would yeah. potentially be having similar a uh, similar diagnosis to your first child, similar difficulties, similar personality? Like how did you come to that within yourself that that's what you wanted to do?
1: Well, Sean and I obviously work as a team. We had discussions about it. It was definitely something that I was not prepared to do, to have another child with fragile X because – <laughs> you're not guaranteed to have a child that is like Oliver or even a person like my dad. So it's, it's spectrum based, like also for the child itself. Like I, like Oliver is just like the most amazing little human and obviously wouldn't change him for the world. He's, he's beautiful. Like he's changed my perspective on, on life, on the world seeing it through his eyes but I could never knowingly do that again I just couldn't I just like knowing that I carry a genetic condition that can cause such severe disability I just I just couldn't it was not something that I could go along with
0: because it's not only you it's their life that you're oh. you know giving them where they're going to face difficulty and it's also going to impact Oliver's life and how you're able to parent him like i can imagine
1: exactly and because we were already you know like 5 or 6 years deep into having Oliver and all the challenges that he does have with just sometimes everyday things that we take for granted Like doing up a button. Yeah, I know. You know, like that type of stuff. It's just, it just was not something that Sean and I had on our radar that we would knowingly have a child, another child with. It was just, not something that we were prepared to
2: do. You knew where you stood. And I can yeah. imagine a lot of people feel guilty when they have to make that decision. And it's like, oh, but with what you said, I mean, I have a Down syndrome uncle and watching my grandmother raise him, he's a few years older than I am. This is a lifetime responsibility. Like it's not 18 they leave the nest and, you know, I'm being hypothetical now. Mm. Like uh, it is it is something that you can't switch off being a parent ever. That That is going to really go well into your retirement yeah. and that in itself is extremely exhausting, not to mention that you might have other dependents yeah. that you have to look after. Yeah. yeah, it's such a tricky thing
0: and I think, yeah, it's like something I think, nobody wants to say no, I imagine it's probably a difficult thing for anyone to talk about where they Mm. stand on it when they've actually had to Mm. face that decision when it is a child who is compatible with life, Mm. but is going to face difficulties. And like, I'm sure there are people listening that are like, well, yeah, thank you for kind of... speaking to something which I think no one wants to say no one wants to go oh no I you know I would say no to my child like it's just such a difficult thing to put yourself into but it's not as simple as that it's not as simple as just going oh couldn't you love this child of course you would love that child to pieces but if you have the ability to have a say in it there are things to weigh up like you're gonna have to you know decide how that's gonna look for everyone yeah
1: especially because we already have oliver so i know there were like even when i was pregnant with this one now and people would like i was very open about it i i never shied away from any of it and i've been really open about the whole thing all my miscarriages you know you know trying to spread awareness and that type of stuff and like i've never shied away from the decision that Sean and I have made um, or we're going to make. And like, yeah, there were some people who said to me, like, how how could you do that? And I was like, like, (laughs) all good day in my shoes, mate. Yeah. Just one day. And all of us are mild, (laughs) fragile, like some severity. You have no idea the impact it has on his life. It's just, yeah, not something that Sean and I were willing to do again it's oh, it's just like knowing like the knowledge that you have and mm. you know there is testing available and you know that this decision is not something that we took lightly or or wanted to even contemplate doing in our life we didn't even know this situation was going to happen or or what have you but we thought that we could escape it by doing ivf and we couldn't mm. like we're living with one. (laughs) We have our little boy who's got fragile X and, you know, we know the implications of this. So that's why we made the decision to have a termination for medical reasons. If, if um, this baby did potentially have fragile X. So you
0: did fall pregnant with this option that you're talking about, you fell pregnant and you stayed pregnant and you got to that point of testing. But my question is like, how the hell did you handle <laughs> no. those first twelve weeks? Like, what were you think what were you thinking?
1: Were you bonding? Were you trying not mm. to bond with the baby? Mm. What were you doing? Um I think I was pretty much mute. I think I like obviously, my psychologist, I, I was having appointments with her, and we just decided that I would just take every day that came. And every appointment, so I never looked too far forward. Um, it was yeah. never, it was always just the next appointment, you know, the next scan. Um, obviously because I had the recurrent miscarriage issue as well. You know, every time I went to the toilet, I was like petrified. It was basically a living hell for twelve weeks. Um, even beyond that, because we we didn't know till I think we found out at fourteen weeks that had the result. But yeah, it was just it was a living hell basically. Yeah. and I. I didn't want to like not bond with the baby. Like it wasn't something that I didn't want to do. It was just something to protect myself, I guess. Which everyone would probably do. But I still had that little bit of hope deep down that, you know, I can have a child without fragile X. Like it's not like I have, you know, two premutation genes that can turn into fragile X. Like there is one X chromosome that's they like they deem normal, <laughs> still a carrier, mm. but you know, not bad. So I was just trying to hold on to that as much as I could, but also then try to protect myself in the fact that potentially this may not turn out in the best way. Were you on any medications
0: to keep the pregnancy?
1: Yeah, so I was on the, again, low-dose aspirin, the Clexane and um, the intralipid infusions. Um, so I started mm-hmm. that from the get-go. So, um, yeah, my daily specialist was like, we're just going to hit this with everything. Um, we, I had a few more intralipid infusions than I had with the transfers just to make sure that, yeah, I didn't have any of those. Um, I think they call called the killer cells that the body will try mm-hmm. to, yeah, get rid of the embryo killer cells yeah so yeah i was on all of those i was also on progesterone for this one as well so i had them um, two pest trees a day which was awful <laughs> would not recommend they're gross <laughs> but yeah so i was on all those medications yeah we got to 12 weeks had the cvs done there was a bit of a situation with getting the cvs done i did speak to all of his pediatrician the geneticist on which way to go because they obviously are the, private fetal medicine specialist and then there's obviously the public way of going and he's like look he's like the the public are amazing like you just you go to the royal brisbane the fetal medicine unit there are great and i was like all right like i would never gone public with anything because we had private health and i was like all right we'll, we'll, we'll give it a crack like okay um so i rang them up and i had an appointment and everything and she's like the doctor there the geneticist, was like oh uh, we'll do the cbs But if it does go pear-shaped and we have to do a termination for medical reasons, we can't do that here. I was like, "Uh, pardon? (laughs) So you can do the test, but if it ends up turning bad, I can't have the procedure done. There. And she's like, no, because you're not in our catchment area. And I was like, this sounds insane. Yeah? And she's like, I was like, well, where do I go? She was like, just go to your local hospital. I was like, oh, right, so I'll just rock up like a farm animal and ask someone to just terminate my baby. Do I, or like, this sounds ridiculous. Like I'm at a fetal medicine specialist unit. I carry a genetic condition in which I already know about and I'm getting a CVS there. done. And why are you not continuing my care? Like it blew my mind <laughs> that that situation actually even happened. Like I was just like, I cannot, like I've got a referral. Like I, I already know I'm a carrier. Like I already know all these things that need to happen. And yet you can't continue my care. And she's like, no, because you're not now, because you're from Redlands. Oh, so God. I was like, flick that one off. <laughs> I was like, you can cancel your appointment. And I went I went private. And yet to the, the most beautiful fetal medicine specialist, he was just, he was his old school. He's just, he was just amazing. He put my mind at ease and he mm. made the whole procedure quite, tolerable in the circumstance that we were in he just made you feel comfortable and, and knowing that it's okay and you know that there obviously are risks they do they just say a miscarriage risk with, with yeah. CBS. but he's like this is, you know I've done well, I don't know how many and he's like I've never had a miscarriage it's like it's totally fine don't stress about it he gave you, you know, the confidence yeah, and he's like, it's going to be completely fine. He's like, I've got a really good feeling about this. It's going Aww, to be fine. I love and him. Yeah, so Sean and I were just like, oh, like,
2: yeah, it's going to be okay. Like, this
1: procedure's going to be fine. Like, I'm not saying it was the most comfortable thing ever because my placenta
2: was actually, it's actually a low lying at the back of my uterus. So, well, of course it wasn't going to be easy. <laughs> you were going to know. That was not going to be where you wanted it to be. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. And he's, yeah,
1: and so he's, he's like, oh, this is a, Because the needle has to go right to the back, and then yeah, extract the bit of placenta. So that wasn't the most comfortable situation to be in. It was quite awful, but he, yeah, he was amazing. I, I cannot. I would recommend him. He's beautiful. So within a couple of days, we got results back, like basically just what the nip test would do, um, Mm -hmm. like the gender, basic stuff. And I said to Sean, like, we need to give this baby a name because whether or not we're keeping. This baby or not, but he needs, he deserves a name. So it was a little boy and his mm. name's Theodore. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we decided to give him a name and then we had to wait. Like it, they say it can take up to like, they say like you know, five days or, or two, two weeks. And um, I obviously it got to like 10 days and I was just like, what's going on? Like I just, it was awful. Like every day, you're just like waking up, like, Oh God! I just like can today. Can, can you just go call me today? So he was actually really good. He actually called me a few times, and he's like, "I've been badgering them. This is ridiculous." Yeah. He's like, "You have no idea." Like he's like, "I've been advocating, and I just yeah, you know, the position that you are specifically in is different." Yeah. And you need yeah.
2: to know ASAP. Like this is just this is stupid. And good um, on him for actually calling you up because I feel like when you're in such a high stress oh, situation and yeah. you're waiting, like this is the only thing you're thinking about twenty four seven. There is nothing more infuriating than silence. Yeah. So yeah. the fact that he can give you a he phone was, call yeah. just to reassure you, even that it's nothing, but that he's thinking of it yeah. and mm. it's and it's there, that would have that must have made you yeah. feel was, you he's know amazing. yeah. And yeah. he's like don't treat people
1: like farm animals. You are people that have emotions. Yeah. I'm not, he's like, I'm not here for that. I'm not. We need more
2: of him in the world. Yeah.
1: But he's, I would say, very, 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 very close to retirement. Oh, no. (laughs) No. Yeah. I I was like, should you still be practicing? (laughs) (laughs)
0: he like probably had the information sitting there in his desk for days he's just like oh hang on (laughs) came via email
2: (laughs) it's not in the
1: post is it (gasps) oh no um so I'm, i'm hoping to god he's training people because he is just oh he's it was beautiful
2: I'm sure so, yeah, he did
1: call me, and, and um, we actually, Sean and I worked together at the time Um, well, in person. We yeah. decided that I had a staycation book with girls from work, and Sean's like, it was like right in the middle of when we should have found out. And Sean's like, I was like, I should cancel it. And he's like, What? So you can just sit at home? And I was mm. like, Yeah, but then I won't be with you because I was like, I've been on the Sunshine Coast. So it wasn't like a war going very far. But, you know, the people that I was with, like, they, knew me inside and out mm. they knew everything that was going on they could support Useful you support network like it was just amazing so Sean's like no just go just go because we don't know when we're going to get the call like, we could get the call after you get back like we don't we don't know and so anyway I, I went and um yeah we got the phone call um, I got the phone call from the fertility the medicine specialist and he was he was like everything's okay no. I like, oh yeah. my gosh <sighs> <gasps> oh my it was god just, it was and he's like I knew it I knew it was gonna oh. be fine it's totally fine and I was just like oh my god but yeah having those girls there like I cannot like thank oh. them <laughs> yeah lifelong life friends I cannot they were just beautiful like they were out the back like holding on to each other's hand they're crying I'm oh. crying like it was just <laughs> It was beautiful. Like, I couldn't have, you know, obviously, it was Sean there. Yes. Did yeah. you call Sean straight away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I called him and, yeah, was he will cry. I'm like, calling my mom and, you know, my close friends. And uh, we just could not believe that, like, after all of yeah. the stuff that we had been through, that we, like, yeah. do this option. And, like, I just because it's just been like a shit time, like the whole thing has just been so shit. I was like, this this pregnancy, like I, it has been amazing. Like I can't, yeah. how, how, I was like, this has just gone perfectly. Like I fell pregnant naturally, which is obviously not a problem. No worries. Um, but I was able to keep it with the fertility specialist treatment and, you know, everything was going right. And I was just thinking to myself, like something has to go fucking wrong because yeah. everything else goes wrong in my life. So how about we just chuck that one on the list too? So I was just like, I can't, like, oh, I don't know. We even now, like, still can't believe that this is yeah. actually going to happen. Like, we're actually going to have a baby. Like, we can't. It's wow.
2: just been, you know, like five or six years of just utter bullshit. It feels really surreal and I feel really honoured that we are hearing this story and this journey while Mm. you're still technically going through it. Like I can't believe you're 37 weeks pregnant. Oh, my gosh. The
0: relief, like, you must have felt just to be able to fully love him like just be like it's on like we are having you this pregnancy is not only continuing but like yeah you don't have this issue it's just must have been I I know I I feel like I feel relieved and (laughs) I can't stop grinning from ear to ear just
1: hearing that phone call come through we just can't believe that it's actually happened to us that we were actually able to hit the jackpot like I can't even like
2: and especially when you had that
0: kind of data of when you were doing IVF and going from however mm. many eggs to then like nine and then two being mm. without the fragile X syndrome, like mm. that must have played on your mind of like, well, this is a pretty I loaded know. like Russian roulette game I'm yeah. playing here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I also have one block tube too. So I don't know how oh. it got through. Just start a spicy meant block to be. Tube in the mix. I don't know. I don't, I don't even, I don't know. Yeah. It's so mysterious, isn't it? I know. And I don't, I, well, we're just so thankful that we've, you know, come out on the other side and it's actually been a positive one because we obviously were prepared to go down the other path, but we, yeah, we just still yeah. even now can't believe that we're going to have another little one next week. It's, <laughs> I, know. I can't believe it's all just kind of like played out the way it has. Yeah. And even just like when we were able to actually have him, cause I was definitely not keen on having um, a natural birth either. I, from what we've been through I was like he just needs to come out nicely yeah <laughs> without any complication he just needs to just be born into this world um yeah in the most controlled environment um mm. just my own little you know mental health situation so um yeah, yeah. got a psychologist appointment tomorrow so we'll be going through things but yeah I just we're just beyond happy that this is actually um yeah become our reality when we didn't think it was going to be i love it thank you thank you so so
0: much melissa thank you for sharing such a complicated story no
1: worries thank
0: you so much for listening to this week's episode of behind the bump if you loved today's episode you can head to our facebook group behind the bump where you can join in the conversation find support and so much more it's linked in the show notes until next week
2: bye-bye